Welcome to UAB Techno, a podcast about all things technology at UAB. I'm MJ Moon. And I'm Carrie B. And we are your hosts from UAB IT. Welcome back to Techno. We are so excited to be creating new episodes. If this is your first time listening, we are the UAB IT communications and marketing team, and this is a monthly podcast that covers what is new with campus services and software, but we also like to talk about what's happening in the tech world, including that it's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. That's right. Last week, we recorded with Alante Jowers, who's an information security associate in UAB IT, and we discussed some things like what's a fish, what should you look for in a phishing message, and why is cybersecurity awareness important? But before we get to that interview, let's cover some of the new things happening at UABIT. On September 15th, UAB officially cut the ribbon and opened the UAB Technology Innovation Center, which is a little over 37,000 square feet of building that's home to UAB's Security Operations Center and the Network Operations Center. So the TIC, which is what we like to call it, is home to UAB's Chiha supercomputer, the fastest computer of its kind in the state of Alabama, and the data highway that connects researchers throughout the University of Alabama system. We were thrilled to hold our grand opening. We have employees have been in that building for several months now, but it was nice to really formally celebrate it and to be able to do that in person after so many months of, you know, remote celebrations. And we talked throughout the process of being able to go on tours and see the progress that was being made. It's really great to be able to have the in-person ceremony to really wrap up all the progress that's been made. We also wanted to remind you that UAB Anywhere is our virtual desktop solution that allows you to connect remotely to machines in the cloud and physically located on campus. This tool is being used across campus by departments and individuals, and we released an article earlier this month on how UAB Anywhere helps the School of Engineering students access software. Yeah, so the School of Engineering was among the first here at UAB to require undergraduate students to use laptops for their coursework, but they needed a way to get the students access to licensed software for the program. And some of them were using Macs and that just wasn't possible for them. So at first they were using their own virtual tools, which were successful for them, but they found a more cost-effective and streamlined solution in UAB Anywhere. If you'd like to read the full article, you can find the link in the show notes. And if you want to read more about UAB Anywhere in general, you can go to go.uab.edu slash UAB Anywhere and learn more about how you can use it for yourself or for your school or your unit. In the second week of October, you might have noticed a new look for the Duo mobile app, which is used at UAB for two-factor authentication for most of our university applications and systems. The redesigned Duo Mobile is designed to make your login experience better by updating the position of the approve and deny buttons, improving the accessibility of the app, which means they added a landscape view, variable font sizes, and improved color contrast. It also provides clear guidance on restoring your accounts if you get a new device, and makes it easier to find and manage your accounts with a simpler interface. If you're not already using the Duo app with push notifications, and the 30-day Remember Me feature, we highly recommend setting that up as your automatic approval process. It is the quickest and most secure way to approve your logins with Duo at UAB. So for resources on how to use Duo, you can visit uab.edu slash two-factor. 
our research computing team has been incredibly busy over the last several months. They are always busy, but they have been doing a lot. They are redesigning the research computing infrastructure to make it more robust and scalable as well as more reliable. And that's in response to an increase in demand for their services. Those changes are coming after a $2 million investment that saw a 225% increase in the computing power of Chiha, which as we've said, is the state's fastest supercomputer. That feels like some crazy math there. The supercomputer was already fast. Yes, there's no other computer in the state that comes close. And really, we're one of the fastest in the Southeast. That's fantastic. Research computing and how it can empower researchers at UAB and beyond will be front and center of the annual Research Computing Days, which is set for March 1st through 2nd of 2020. As UABIT plans for the event, we're looking for individuals who would like to lead workshops or suggest topics for workshops related to data science, high-performance computing or cloud computing, data transfers and management, or research data analysis. Linked below in the show notes is a survey to register your interest, volunteer to speak or help, or you can just go to select a topic. I've actually attended, um, from the communications perspective, attended the research computing days, I think two of the years, two of the three years that I've been with IT. And it's great that we have enough content, interest, and attendees to move to a two-day platform rather than just a one-day. Like it's, a, it's just a time for everyone to get together that uses research computing and works with the team to chat and connect. The research computing team, like Carrie said, has been super busy with new projects and events. We're looking forward to everything that's coming from them. If you want to keep up with their events and announcements, you can follow us on Twitter and we will be sure to share the news. Yeah. So one of our biggest projects this month, MJ, has been security and National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yes. It ha- it even took over our homecoming float entry for the parade. That's how important it has been for us. And we've been preparing and planning for it for months, um, preparing the information that we were going to share and some fun things that we did. So uh, first we're going to talk to Alante Jowers. Yeah, our conversation with Alante from last week is going to give some insight to what our campaign was about and some of the things that we did that were security related this month. So today we are excited because we have our first guest on the podcast. We have Alante Jowers, who has been working with IT for a few years, and he's just started a new role in security. So Alante, can you introduce yourself for our audience? Yes, thanks for having me, first and foremost. Currently, I'm an information security associate uh, in the security department at UAB. I started in the help desk, spent a little time on desktop, and now I'm here. So uh, thanks again for having me on. I'm excited. Absolutely. Welcome to Techno. Awesome. What are some things that people might not realize about working in security? The biggest thing I would say is, and this is kind of specific to like IT, is how many other skills go into security. Security isn't just one skill. You have to know a little bit of networking. You have to know a little bit of programming. You have to know a little bit of how hardware works. You have to know just so many different disciplines (laughs) to be what I consider uh, a good cybersecurity analyst. So I think that's been one of the most interesting things is I like to learn, so it works out for me. But it kind of fits that jack of all uh, trades, master of none role, because you can just continue to learn and apply that to a security framework and be well off within that. That's a great insight. What made you interested in secu- working in security? I knew I was going to be in IT. I realized this was going to be my life's work. 
I didn't know exactly what avenue to specialize in, but when I sat down and thought about it, before I knew what IT was, what's always seemed cool. And it's like, hmm, hacking. You always see the, the movies with the guys typing away on the computers. It's nothing like that, kind of. But uh, <laughs> that kind of what drew, that's what drew me to it. And I started learning some of the technology behind it, and I just fell in love. That's awesome. So one of the things, I think the main thing we are focusing on for October for Cybersecurity Awareness Month is phishing, because phishing is kind of the gateway to all sorts of problems in um, cybersecurity, particularly for an organization like ours. So can you tell us what is a phish? Okay, so a phish is an online scam of a sort where you have uh, cyber criminals or people looking to do illegitimate things that... They send an email where they spoof someone um, looking to trick a human into revealing sensitive information, whether that be a PHI, credit card information, social security card, or maybe even sending you out on a link to click something and that may um, install something malicious on your machine. But the whole um, thing behind phishing is uh, someone trying to trick you into doing something to reel you in and get that information. What are some things that we should be looking for? if we suspect a message is a fish? Across the board, a lot of, with a lot of fish, you see inconsistencies with like uh, some of the email addresses. So sometimes you'll see, it'll say from UAB, but if you look at the actual address, it'll be a different address. Um, a lot of them have bad grammar and spelling mistakes because they come from foreign entities. You're looking for something that's getting, that's, that's asking you to do something specifically, that's asking you to reveal some sort of information about yourself. Are there different types of messages that different types of audiences on campus might receive? For students, you know, you may see something along the lines of your Blazor ID or something along the lines of tuition, maybe even um, something specific like class. With <laughs> faculty and staff, a lot of emails asking someone to go get a gift card. We've seen a lot of that, actually. Someone will spoof a supervisor, spoof someone higher up in the organization, and they'll uh, send that email out to you saying, hey, this is urgent. We need you to go send some money to get, some, um, get this gift card. And that is very illegitimate. Why do we think that people fall for those types of scams, especially in the position of the staff with their supervisor. So they're just studies out and across the board, the weakest link to infrastructure is gonna be the people. It's, it's, I mean, you can build a big wall around your perimeter, what you're trying to protect, but you still have to rely on um, education on the people who, who you're trying to protect. Use education is very important, but we're also you know, working on getting some things in place to, to, to mitigate this on the front end mm -hmm. as well. And one of the things that we always say is information security is a team sport. So it's not just that IT and security are doing these things. We need help from our entire campus community to help us prevent these things. True. One bit, one thing that first got me, somebody said, like, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> So starting there, because, you know, we used to get the emails about I'm a prince in this country and yes. I need you. <laughs> and now it's transformed to something totally different. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. I think with the, the emails that spoof your supervisor, I mean, of course, as an employee, you're going to think, oh, I need to, you know, please my supervisor, do, do what they need. And you, you might not immediately think, oh, what an unusual, weird request. One thing I, I mean, would recommend would... If you have informal channels like Slack or Teams, that would that may be a good idea to reach out to someone if you see something suspicious and be like, "Hey, did, did you send this? I just want to make sure." Um, That's really smart. Yeah, like you said, you want to be you want to make sure that you're that you're pleasing your supervisors and you don't want to question that authority, but you want to also, um, you know, keep the campus safe. 
Exactly. I like the suggestion of using a second platform to contact that person because for some reason, my first instinct would be forward that to Carrie and be like, Carrie, did you send me this? Which you are not supposed to forward on a phishing message because then that just further spreads, you know, if she clicks the it. risk. If she, if she clicks <laughs> it, right. But yeah, it's going to a different platform is a fantastic tip. Yeah, I love that. That one was free. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> So we are actually introducing a new tool for campus to report fish um, this month, and that's the new fish notify button. That is going to immediately send a notice to our Ask IT help desk and let them know that you're reporting a fish, and that will help expedite our security team being able to respond to that. As part of implementing implementing this new fish notify button, we're going to start sending out quarterly faux phishing messages. If you get one of these messages and you click a link in it, which we, of course, we don't want you to do, you will immediately be notified that you fell for a fish. If you report the fish using the fish notify button, then you will immediately get notified that, hooray, you did it. We are so proud of you that you you recognized the fish. And that fish notify button is going to show up in everyone's uh Outlook, automatically, you're not going to have to download or install anything. We'll link a video to how to use it in the show notes for the podcast today. Yeah, it's important to use the fish notify button. During testing, I even I even saw um, one where it was very confident that there was no malicious content in the message, but it was going to send on the message to whoever oh, really? anyway. I didn't know that. And that's because I was reporting not phishing messages while I was doing my testing. Like just, you know, messages from me or someone like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. I, re- I reported Carrie to security. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> that's pretty cool though. Huh? I didn't know so that. That's like one of the, my favorite parts about it is that it will immediately give you the answer of yes, you did the right thing or we're not sure, but we're going to keep looking. And the previous process was nice because you got a confirmation that it was received, but you never really knew what the result was. Yeah, and what would happen is, so when you open a ticket with Ask IT, there's an email that's generated. Um, but oftentimes, when that's resolved, it may be at a t- it, it comes back through. But a lot of people don't catch that last email to someone who's not looking for it. It's it's not right. something that I would expect you to see. Yeah. And Alanta, you worked in IT or excuse me, in Ask IT in the past, so you've kind yeah. of following this process all the way through now that you're working in security. Yeah, I started off in Ask.T and we would, uh, you know, Ask.T fills a lot of the fish. And if it's something that can't be immediately identified as malicious or not, it gets sent to InfoSec. And now being in InfoSec, I get to actually dig into them and see where they come from, see if it's malicious or not. And come full circle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's been interesting. I enjoyed a lot, though. One thing that um, I know that our chief information officer, Dr. Carver, often says is that if you if you report a fish, you can be a hero for the rest of campus because if security identifies this as a malicious email, um, they can start a process whereby that email, if it's been sent to a lot of people on campus, is immediately taken out of everybody else's inbox. That's just really helpful for everybody on campus. Do we want to talk about the security map? Yeah, so the attack map is kind of just to show people the impact of why security is important. Because at any at any given time, we have X amount of attacks coming in from Y amount of places. I think it's a good sort of broad overview if you don't 
have a concept of how constant these attacks are coming in and from all over the world. One thing that's important to note is that we do work at a, a institution of higher learning. This is one of the most targeted industries just within the realm of society right now. We also have health data. We have, there's so many types of uh, data that, that is a target for malicious actors. So that was surprising at first. My first look at the attack map, and I was like, wow, that's going on all the time. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that, that was definitely interesting. Well, yeah, you brought up, you know, that, that we are a target because we're a university, because we are a medical university. There's a lot of research that's happening. There may be... Um, bad actors across the world who are trying to access that for whatever reason. And especially since COVID alone, the, the attempts on higher education institutions have risen because a lot of institutions are doing research and whatnot. So mm -hmm. that's made them more of a target as well. That is, so we're doing great work, but, it, but because of that, it also um, increases our profile and makes us a target. Just, make, just means we all need to be more vigilant. From top to bottom. Yes. Even if you don't think someone wants the information that you have access to, that doesn't mean that you are not a target. Yeah. Because it's yeah. a team sport. Yes. <laughs> so part of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we just started last year creating games. They are on mobile and on desktop um, as part of our campaign. And so this year you are launching your phone into the air and avoiding the bad emails. If you get caught, 8BitBlaze comes in representing Ask IT. He gives you a little bit of a quiz. If you do not pass the phishing quiz, your game ends. Oh, wow. So if you want to play our phone toss game, you can go to go.uab.edu slash phone dash toss and let us know what your score is. Nice. Okay, I'm going to have to get the high score. I'm going to work on that over the weekend. <laughs> the game includes our favorite character, 8BitBlaze. I have it pulled up right now, and this is pretty cool. Alante, thank you so much for joining us on Techno this month and representing IT security. Do you have any words of wisdom for anyone looking to get into information technology or maybe even you know, the similar path that you took? Yeah, I do, actually. I would say... Getting IT requires uh, understanding that it's going to be a life, a lifelong of work and research and Googling and YouTubing. So what I would say to start is see what you're interested in. Um, a lot of ways into IT starts at the help desk and you can kind of specialize from there. But that's not the only way. Like, I think the first step is to identify what you want to do and then get on Google and, and figure out like what the path to that is. Personally, I just I started with my CompTIA A-plus certification that uh, afforded me the opportunity to get a job at the help desk here at UAB. From there, I just continued to grind for um, certifications, uh, got interested in security. So I picked up a networking and a security certification and uh, was again just by networking and reaching out and working. Honestly, I was afforded that opportunity, but be ready to understand that it's, it's not an overnight deal. It, it takes work, it takes time, but it's, it's so much work. It, it's very much so worth it. Is there anywhere people can go find what you're working on for the future? Um, aside from work in school, I stream. Started off just as simple gaming. I was playing a lot of Call of Duty. It turned into me wanting to give back because I wouldn't be where I was without people reaching out and helping me. So every Tuesday, I like to do a session called Tech Tuesdays. And I just bring people on. Very humble, still growing. I stream to Facebook, Twitch, and I upload to YouTube after. Pretty much on every social media site, you can find me at City Boy Summer. All one word, no spaces, are special characters. Awesome. We will include that in the show notes, too. <laughs> I've actually had a guy that works for Facebook on. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, he's a Facebook data capacity engineer, so he's behind making sure that WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook are, a seat, are able to um, fulfill the requests that come in. 
So he had a busy week a couple weeks ago. He said it, that wasn't him. That was actually. <laughs> <laughs> I reached. I, what's crazy is I hit him. I was like, "Did you do that?" He's like, "No. If I did, I could fix it." But, <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for having me again, y'all. I appreciate it. I am going to get my phone top score up. I need to be on a leaderboard <laughs> somewhere for that. We hope all of that knowledge and an extra guest was enjoyable for everybody. We're looking forward to bringing some more people onto the podcast. To wrap up our episode this month, we are going to do what we do best and talk about some tech tips. And this month we have two that are Microsoft related. First, we're going to talk about team breakout rooms and then the new tone detection tool that's in Outlook. Soon you're going to be able to pre-assign meeting attendees and presenters to individual breakout rooms in Microsoft Teams. This month, Microsoft is bringing new features to those breakout rooms. A breakout rooms tab will be added to the meeting details of all channels and private Teams meetings. This tab allows meeting organizers to prepare the breakout rooms for a meeting before the meeting ever starts. So if you know that you're going to have a meeting and you need to have, you know, some individual discussions during that meeting. This is an easy way to go ahead and organize it before you even get started. Meeting organizers will be able to assign presenters to specific breakout rooms and breakout room presenters will have access to the same room control features that meeting organizers do, but only for the breakout room to which they are assigned. And we're all super familiar with breakout rooms because of, of their use in Zoom, but these new features in Microsoft will make team collaborations even easier, especially with the option to prepare these before the meetings begin. The other thing we want to talk about was the Microsoft Tone Detection, which has been added to Microsoft Editor for Outlook on the web. And this change adds a new tone section to the settings for Microsoft Editor that will check sentences and word tone for any of the selected criteria. Currently, politeness is the only criteria available, but they there will be some extended tone detection options available in the future. MJ, I'm fascinated by this because I feel like politeness could be a very subjective thing. Because, you know, in the South, I do agree. We say bless your heart a lot. But depending on how you say it, it means something entirely different. So how is Microsoft going to detect when I'm being sarcastic when I say bless your heart and when I truly mean it? Well, we'll see if the algorithm is in tune with the Southern etiquette. I do have experience with the tone detection that Grammarly has included in their tools. And so I'm absolutely excited to see this coming to Microsoft. I'll be our test dummy to let you know how it's going. Awesome. Well, we were going to check back in with you like in a couple of months and see how the tone detection is working for you. UAB Techno is produced by UABIT's communications and marketing team with Carrie Bean and MJ Moon. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Is that a plunger?